You know, there's something I've been grappling with. This this fear I'm prone to. I find it poisons my thoughts. It blinds me. It flat 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 puts. No, okay, I don't think this is gonna work. <laughs> I, I I was loving it. <laughs> 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 you were on a roll there for a second. Yeah, I know. The flat foot totally got. got uh, yeah, that's no, fair. Tyler Campstra. Hi, everybody. And Ash Eli. Hey, guys. All right. Uh, hey, Tyler. What are, what's happening? Um, well, today we're going to talk about status conditions across tabletop RPGs. So we're going to focus primarily on D&D and Pathfinder here today because... Um, of all the games I've played, those are the ones where status conditions feature the most heavily. Status so, conditions. Status conditions. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, so we're going to dig into what the different conditions do, how they work, how they compare across games, and kind of how they've evolved since like 3.0, which is uh, in a lot of ways the beginning of the modern RPG design era. Um, so we'll we'll compare those across editions. We'll talk about how you can use them to your advantage, or like how they'll be used against you, and what you can do about it. Well, uh, you know, try and make this informative and interesting. That's right. And, and just to call it on out, we are we are going to do this across two episodes. Uh, so this week we've got some cool stuff to talk about. Next week we also have some cool stuff to talk about, but it's going to be status <laughs> conditions again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Turns out there's a lot of those. <laughs> yeah, sure. And the, there's a lot to say about them. Although I think you know. Not to, not to, is it jump to the lead? What would you jump to the conclusion? What am I jumping to? Skip yeah, to the conclusion? Line, skip to the conclusion? Bottom line up front? Uh, uh, spoil yeah, the ending? English exactly. is weird and complicated. There's so many phrases. I don't want to do with them all. Anyway, <laughs> that's a problem for another day. Uh, some of the status conditions suck. Yes, <laughs> yes they do. But Bury the lead. Bury the lead. Bury the lead. Okay, good, good. <laughs> Nailed it. Uh, but we're actually really excited about some of these. Uh, so, in fact, I think the first group that we want to talk about are, and we're going to kind of put these in a box, uh, the grabbed, grappled, prone, restrained. Uh, Tyler very famously wrote an article, uh, How to Restrain Your Dragon. Uh, you know, I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the practical guide to grappling, I, I titled the announcement post, How to Restrain Your Dragon, because I was really hoping people would pick up on the How to Train Your Dragon pun there, and not one, not one person said anything. So oh, if you're see, out I, there and you had a hearty I chuckle. I totally in it. Yeah, okay. I got it right away. That's the first time I'm hearing it. And yeah, yeah. great. Yep. Choice. Okay. Choice <laughs> if you're at home and you like that, please reach out to Tyler at RPGBOTBOTNET. <laughs> Tell me that I'm funny so I can show it to my wife and say, see, people do think I'm funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're going to be getting tweets in like 2025 about this and I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> you know, I'll enjoy that. Okay. If you're out there in 2025. I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be on how to, you know, how to restrain your dragon six. Cause you know, so you it, think yeah, oh, if it's still printing money. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So Tyler, you talked about kind of starting with the idea of like the three X days. So what did, what did these look like in three X before we step into five E and Pathfinder two? Yeah. So if you're familiar with fifth edition or Pathfinder first edition, it, it was basically the same thing. They just had slightly different effects that fit the rules of the day. Um, so your your character might have like one of a set of named status conditions based on what was going on with them. So you might be paralyzed, petrified, prone. Um, if all three of those things happen to you, I'm very sorry. But 
all those things could be slapped onto a creature in some combination. They would come from various effects like spells or monster special abilities. But the important part was each condition had a different defined effect. Uh, so depending on what created those effects, it would affect you differently. You'd have to deal with it in different ways. Um, figuring out how to counter a lot of those effects was pretty central to surviving third edition. Um, and that has and hasn't changed in some ways. Um, but comparing effects, it, sometimes effects that have the same names, despite like years and years of distance and multiple rule sets in between um, ha still have very different effects that feel kind of similar. So looking at the comparisons, looking at similarities and differences between the two can be super informative. And it's kind of a, a fun way to observe the evolution between editions. So I guess, yeah, let, let's hop into it at that point. So 3X had the idea of prone and grapple, but not restrained, right? Yeah, that was a weird one. Um, going back and researching for this episode like i'm looking at the descriptions of the the conditions on various srds yeah uh 3x does not have the restrained condition so that applies to 3035 pathfinder first edition you do still have prone and grappled uh but there's no defined condition for like i have been tied up with rope or i am encased in goo or something like that and considering that exists in a lot of other games uh 5e pathfinder second edition it feels like kind of a weird omission um because there were there were certainly some things in 3.5 which could restrain you um the uh and so looking at looking at the three conditions um they do feel super similar to 5e like prone uh you don't want to be prone in melee it sucks uh it's not a lot of fun people will have a eh. People will have better luck hitting you. You'll have trouble hitting everything else. It's hard to hit you at range because you're like, you know, close to the ground and stuff. Uh, grapple gives me PTSD flashbacks. Uh, <laughs> um, Ash, you're playing PF1 right now. Have you been subjected to the grapple rules? Uh, not. Well, I think I was once. Um, and it <laughs> you know was. It. <laughs> yeah no I, i'm pretty sure i think i'm pretty sure i was but i didn't have to really do anything my my dm like did it basically said like there's like a grapple dc that you have and i was just like i don't know what that is <laughs> they showed me they had to show me on my characters like there's so many different like acs touch mm -hmm. ac um oh it was cmd cmdb right yeah, yeah that's what uh, combat maneuver defense combat maneuver bonus yeah oh my god yeah, I, I I hated it. Like uh, I did not uh, coming from Five E and going back to Pathfinder, I did not like the grapple. Like it was really brutal on someone who is like you know a a witch because I play a witch and not exactly has the highest CMDB or whatever it is. Um, and prone is also pretty brutal uh, in comparison to Five E because uh, even just standing up. I believe is like, I believe is a full round action to stand up. It's a and move action, but it does provoke attacks of opportunity. Yeah, and which that's sucks. the thing. It provokes attacks of opportunity, mm -hmm. which is the worst. <laughs> <laughs> they could have made it worse though. Like if they successfully hit, you get knocked back prone. 
<laughs> yeah, that was the thing was that like I was facing against a creature that if they hit me, I would just immediately go prone. So I'm just like, I guess I'm just stuck here now. <laughs> I'm just going to leave here. I'm going to stab at your foot with my fork. Like that's <laughs> that, was, that, that was essentially what happened. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to beat you in the foot with my broom that I should fly with, but I can't because you'll hit me. <laughs> yep. So on, on the grapple side and, and all right, to, to jump ahead, we're going to talk about for grapple. Um, you. Oh, no, that's not true. I was about to say the wrong thing. Okay. What were the impacts on combat for being grappled? Uh, did you have like a minus modifier to hit? Okay. So in terms of the effects of just the condition, basically just you and whoever you're grappling can't move, except if you take the grapple action to move the grapple. So um, if you're using Pathfinder First Edition... Uh, d20pfsrd.com has two very nice flowcharts that nicely summarize all of the grapple rules. They're a huge pain in the butt. Um, it, it's seriously like two full printer paper size spreadsheets just to explain like all the things you can and can't do while grappling. And look at that and think, this is awful. And remember that 3.0 and 3.5, it was considerably worse. So the status condition you get for when someone is grappled is everyone at the table leaves. That's your status condition. Like someone pulls out the grapple rules like, okay, I'm going home. I believe, yeah. And I believe my biggest complaint about the grapple is that like if a person's CMB is high enough, you essentially can't break the grapple. (laughs) Because yep. like I, I believe you have to use your CMD to like break the grapple, right? Is that right? You can't. It's not like a or escape artist. You can use escape artist. Yeah, you can use escape artist, or you can use your combat maneuver bonus against their combat maneuver defense. But it's usually yeah. gonna be like, oh look, this massive giant is grappling my tiny eight strength witch. Yeah. So I'm assen- yeah. So I'm and that was the problem. Was like I, once I was grappled, I was essentially just permanently grappled, and. uh any and you can be grappled multiple times from multiple different sources <laughs> so you have to break each grapple individually and i'm just like this this sucks i hate this <laughs> <laughs> and that is why teleportation is important yes yeah. yes it is <laughs> and, yeah and so now we we come to 5e oh we come to 5e where things are sensible and tolerable and still a little abusable but like not not to the point where it's going to make everyone want to get up from the table and go home. Yeah. So, yeah, being prone, people have advantage to hit you in melee and disadvantage to hit you at range. So one of my favorite tricks that I advocate, uh, tactical cowardice. If you're fighting at range and so are your opponents, lay down. Well, I mean, and especially, it, especially if you're using things that have saving throws anyway. Because you, it is still technically an attack. You, If you had a spell attack and you're prone, you would still take disadvantage on it, right? Yes, correct. Okay, but if it's a saving throw, there's literally no disadvantage to you. Lay down, cast your spells, let time pass. Exactly. Uh, do you get disadvantage on range attacks when you're prone? I don't yes. Hmm, that I mean, seems interesting. I mean, yeah. if you're having, like, if you, uh, it makes sense for like bows and stuff, but for crossbows and guns, I feel like it shouldn't. <laughs> I feel like being prone is a tactical decision when you're using those weapons but yeah i agree um i believe there was a feat in three five called crossbow sniper that removed the the penalties for firing crossbow while prone among other benefits that i think it gave you but 
uh, I might be misremembering. So somebody on the internet, tell me I'm wrong. Although I, I will say on your turn, if it was really important to you and you didn't really plan on moving anyway, you could spend half your movement to stand, mm-hmm. take your attack action with the bow, and then going prone, I believe in 5e is free, right? Correct. It's not even half your movement back. So if, if your DM is like, oh, no, you have to take that disadvantage, if it wouldn't hurt you in any way, you might as well just stand up, shoot off your attack, and then lay back down. Um, about it, yeah. But if you're lazy and you have saving throws, I think just go for the saving throws. <laughs> like, why even? Why bother? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this fireball doesn't care if I'm laying down. <laughs> I'm just having a picture in my head of a wizard just on his back, like, ah, fireball. I'm reading my magazine. Can you guys go somewhere else? <laughs> I've won fights like that. It works. <laughs> okay. I have one more question. If I didn't have anything great to do with my reaction, could I say um, that, yeah, can I hold movement? I don't think that's the right word. You I can, can ready an action, but can I ready movement? You can ready the dash action. Ah, so I would have to burn my action for it. Okay, yeah. well, I don't want to do that. I don't care then. Yeah. I'm just saying <laughs> one better would be like if, it, if any enemy comes within 10 feet of me, I'm just going to stand up and run away with my remaining movement. But alas, it's not going to work. <laughs> as far as grappling goes in 5e, what are you guys' thoughts? Because I, I think that like it's a, both a blessing and a curse what they did with grappling in 5e. Because while I think it definitely sucks less, um, it is still it's still like more favorable for it's now more favorable for enemies to grapple you rather than the player to grapple a creature. Um, Cause a lot of enemies have just automatic grapples after they attack, which players don't ever really get access to um, like in Pathfinder. Yes. Being grappled sucked, but it also really sucked for an enemy when you could successfully grapple them. Now it almost doesn't really seem worth it to grapple. As a player, I don't know if you guys agree or not. Okay, so I'm going to push back. Uh, I play as a sorcerer, my my current game, I play as a sorcerer in a party with Tyler's barbarian, Bugbear Grills. Right, yeah. Where half of what he does is shove people prone and grapple them. And it's awesome. That is true. Like, you guys have told me about that before, and I do think that is awesome. And (laughs) in a build centered around that, yeah, that's true. But I feel like you have to kind of... You have to build your character around that. And, and I think to some extent, Tyler did, and Tyler, like, I want you to talk about it in a second. The other thing I want to say to us this, though, is from a party composition, it's also really awesome. So we have a monk who is more likely to land attacks in, in that situation. Um, and so the benefit that the party gets from, from Bugbear Grills holding people still so we can beat them up is amazing. And I do think there's a lot of opportunity for that, uh, including, like, when you grapple something, right, you're in your five-foot square, they're in their five-foot square. Uh, and so as a sorcerer, like, I can just say, like, okay, I'm going to make sure that I'm kind of, I'm, you know, I'm going to stop the spell right there. It's going to be great. You're going to feel a little warmth. It's not going to hurt you any. <laughs> Never mind the hair in your arms where you're holding them. It's going to be great. <laughs> the grapple shove strategy has absolutely worked for us. Um, and Ash, you're right. You do have to build your character around it a little bit to make it effective. Um, proficiency in athletics will get you pretty far. And then barbarian... Uh, barbarians you get advantage on strength checks if you're raging so i just get angry and push people and then (laughs) grapple them and it's fine (laughs) like there there have been a few creatures which have successfully broken out of my grapples but the problem is breaking a grapple is an action yeah so 
even if they break the grapple and stand up, it's cost me my turn. It has cost them their turn. I have three buddies, so yeah. I'm still winning. That is true. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's huge, like in the action economy. It, it's literally devastating. You can see the DM be like, yeah, okay, this, this is what we're doing. <laughs> Every time. Okay, you guys have uh, convinced me a bit. Um, I am curious, though. So do you guys... So if you're grappling him while he's prone, aren't you also prone or are you not interesting? No. So it's sort of like you're staying up and just holding them down. Yeah. Um, The 5e rules also don't specify that you need to like commit a hand or anything to the grapple. Yeah. You're free to grapple as many things as you want. So like as people run up to you, just like grapple them, put them on the ground and I don't know, maybe you're standing on them? Unclear. Imagine it how you will. Yeah, that seems odd. Like, I I always thought it was weird that uh, grappling someone didn't affect your attack at all. Because, like, don't you kind of need both hands in order to grapple someone? And um, the other thing that uh, always kind of bothered me a bit about grappling in 5e is it doesn't really affect spellcasting. Like, obviously, if they're going to do, like, a ranged attack, they would have disadvantage because they're in melee with you anyway. But if someone, say, if you're trying to prevent someone from teleporting and they have to use somatic components, there's nothing in the rules that allows you to grapple them in such a way that they can't do that. So they can just misty step out of it. So Yep. Yeah. Whereas, like, in Pathfinder, I believe you had to make a concentration check in order to cast a spell, and it had to, like, beat their CMD or something. It was it was insane. <laughs> uh, it's brutal for a spellcaster. Yeah. But definitely made sense and was a way you could shut down a spellcaster. If, like, if you're capturing a spellcaster, there's no real way to shut them down, even if you kind of bind them up. Uh, well, let's see. So you have to prevent verbal components and somatic components. So you put mm-hmm. a sock in their mouth and uh, stick their arms in a bag full of barbecue sauce. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember which episode we told that story on, but it happened. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> I need to hear to, this story. <laughs> to, to great effect. No, I mean, he just told it. So uh, what it was, uh, they had just acquired a condo that had a dumb waiter with built-in room service. Uh, and when in need of making sure that they could not uh, use somatic components, yeah, the answer obviously was, well, let's get two sacks of barbecue sauce and make this thing happen. Ah, that's very <laughs> clever. I mean, what would you do? That's very clever. <laughs> that's very clever. Yeah, because so uh, you guys remember James, right? Uh, I believe he was on this podcast uh, at one point. Um, I think so. Also, I, uh, was he? I, or, or did I wait, know you guys were talking to him about wait, Colby? Oh. Yeah, yeah we, you, we haven't had James on yet. Oh, okay. Well, James is kind of our punching bag. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but James was running a game, uh, and he's going to love that I called him out on this, um, uh, where he had this big, bad, evil sorceress who had subtle, we knew had subtle spell, and we had no way to like shut her. She was unconscious, and we're like, we want to interrogate her, but she has subtle spell. We have no way to prevent that. Like, even if we grapple and bind her, she still can just teleport away. So instead of, like, you know, engaging with that plot hook or plot device, we're like, we're just going to kill her. (laughs) (laughs) That's the best way to shut her down. Speak with dead works. 
Yeah. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Too bad we didn't have any clerics. Uh, um, so pro tip for the future, a lot of spells require line of sight, including a lot of teleportation spells. So if you yeah, blindfold see, her. That is true. That, mm-hmm. that So we had talked about that. Um, but... I think James had ruled it that he could that I, I think the wording on Misty Step is you don't necessarily have to see where you're going. Uh-huh. You can just know where you want to go. Or Dimension <laughs> but, Door, that's what it was. Dimension Door. Uh, yeah, Dimension see. Door doesn't require a line of sight. Yeah. So mm-hmm. One of these things where you have to make eye contact with it and be like, you have made this to where our only option is murder. Yeah, that was essentially <laughs> what we said to him. And he's like, <laughs> I don't think that's true. I'm like, yes, James, it is true. <laughs> <laughs> How about this? After we murder her, you could say what you had in mind. <laughs> we'll tell you what we think. Uh, so prone, grappled, and restrained. Prone, grappled, restrained. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I so, yeah. So we we've talked about grappled. We said that three X did not have an idea of restrained. So let's call mm-hmm. out the differences in five E. So both grappled and restrained, zero speed, no speed bonus. For restrained, in addition to that, attack rolls against the creature have advantage. Uh, the creature's attack rolls have disadvantage. Um, Disadvantage on dexterity saving throws. So if I said grappled and restrained, which of these things are you when I tie your hands behind your back? What would you tell me? I would I say restrained. Yeah, I'd definitely say restrained. Um, the, the part that I can't reconcile with restrained is no matter how restrained you are, you can still attack. Yeah, but yeah. Hey, you have disadvantage. So like I've got the knife behind me and I'm like jumping backwards <laughs> towards you. It's like that scene in, uh, I think it was the Avengers, where Black Widow's in a chair, and she's oh, yeah. just like, yeah. she still she hits a, knocks a guy unconscious with her hair. <laughs> you know, I'm convinced now. Actually, this makes perfect sense. Okay, good. Um, I'm glad Black Widow was able to rescue this. Uh, and then the other thing worth mentioning, which actually I've never quite understood, and so I'm looking forward to the two of you explaining it to me. For grappled. Grapple, grappling ends if the grappler is incapacitated. Makes perfect sense. I've seen people pass out in fights. They stop fighting. It's great. Um, <laughs> or if the grappled keep creatures moved out of reach. So I think the example they give is like if uh, Thunder Wave is an example of something that would move the creature out of reach and therefore the grapple ends. So strategically, like how do you take advantage of that? How do you get your ally out of a situation where they're being grappled by just, I'm going to do this thing that somehow moves them but doesn't move the bad guy? Well, I feel like we made this joke super recently, but I'm going to push him. <laughs> that was off the air yesterday. I'm just going to oh, push him. Dang. I'm going to walk up to him. I'm going to push him. I'm going to push him. <laughs> yeah, I think, I don't know if pushing a per- just like straight up pushing a person would break the grapple. Maybe it would. But I think what you got to do is like thunder wave and hope your buddy succeeds on the save um although i guess if they both fail wouldn't they travel together see it's like those edge cases it's really hard to kind of figure out (laughs) yeah so the one of the ways you can break a grapple is by moving the grappler and the grapple e yeah yeah grappler and grapple e by moving them out of the grappler's reach so yeah that's that's probably better um <laughs> that is so yeah better, you yeah. just have to shove one of them away from the other a lot of times if you're fighting a creature that's relying on grappling they're gonna be pretty hard to shove your allies might not be like you, your party's eight strength not proficient in athletics wizard very easily shoved 
And so you so can just shove them out of the grap you shove them out of the grapple by moving them five feet and out of reach. Exactly. And if you call them a nerd, you get advantage. <laughs> so the solution to this is as always, Fusro Da. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, so I want to hop in a little bit and I want to talk about, like, as a player, how can we leverage these things? And we talked a little bit already, but it's like, just have a barbarian who's also at this. Uh, rage gives you advantage. It's going to be great. I think we can do even better as a party. So I want to offer this to you. Let's say I've got a sorcerer. Um, is everybody familiar with the spell Enlarge Reduce? Yes. <laughs> Have you ever no. noticed how it is the same spell? There's not a spell called Enlarge and a spell called Reduce. It is Enlarge Reduce. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I can cast that, I believe, at third level? Yep. Uh, I think it's a second level spell base. Yeah, I believe it is. Okay, good. Which means, yeah, I, yeah okay, good, good, good. Um, so it's a second level spell, which means I get access to it at third level? Yeah. Okay. I can twin spell this. I can make my medium ally large. I can make the gargantuan enemy huge. It's constitution saving throw. The likelihood of it hitting pretty low, especially if you're fighting a gargantuan creature. So let's be honest with folks. But there's a <laughs> chance. There's a chance. Um, we're going to get some bardic inspiration here. It's going to be... Uh, no, that's not going to work. That's not going to help. We'll figure uh, it out. Mind sliver. Brilliant. Done. Or um, uh, silvery barbs. Silvery barbs. One hundred percent. Actually, that's perfect. Okay, um, so we're going to silvery barb our gargantuan creature. Uh, we're going to have some lucky dice. We're going to move that to large. So now I've, or excuse me, to huge. So now, originally I had medium versus gargantuan, and the medians like let me at them. <laughs> Twin spell and large reduce. Now I have a large creature against a huge creature, so they can grapple. And. You, our large friend has advantage on strength saving throws or uh, strength ability checks. The gargantuan creature has disadvantage on those strength checks, strength, uh, strength saving throws. Now, shove, shove prone and grapple. <laughs> and uh, that is when you suplex the Tarasque. Hell yes. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the difficulty is just that con save. And yeah, con saves are hard, but... Uh, quicken mind sliver before you do it and then use silvery barbs as a reaction yeah you could make that work mm -hmm. and, and i'll say there's a lot of like most of the time the most thing that you'll have to do is at least enlarge your peer mm -hmm. which is still going to be giving them advantage if they're a barbarian maybe they didn't need that advantage but let's kind of push that off to the side for a second um and and that's going to get you through most combat when you have that gargantuan creature that you're fighting like that's kind of a special situation the other thing you could do is actually the bugbear is a large creature, isn't it? No. Uh, well, uh, are there any large playable races? No. None official, at least. I've never, I guess I've never put that in my head, but yeah, I guess, mm -hmm. okay, well, yeah. it breaks this. I've, <laughs> I've talked about this. Let me play large races. I don't care if it breaks things. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be awesome. But yeah, so most of the time, you don't even need the twin spell, but it, imagine how awesome that would be, right? Like the dragon comes out and you're like, ah, I'm going to restrain you. <laughs> alternatively you could polymorph it <laughs> yeah, it's you a high level spell but yeah <laughs> just polymorph it into, into something small uh, like a little rabbit <laughs> uh, I'd go for something slow like a uh, box turtle there you go oh perfect small portable doesn't get around very quickly on land yeah don't make the mistake that Caleb made in critical role where he turned one creature into a snapping turtle and it caused oh. him so many issues <laughs> <laughs> 
One, one more question on grappling. With grappling, if the creature is smaller than you, you can actually move it freely, right? I think it has to be two sizes smaller than you, and then you can move the grapple without moving at half speed. Because okay, at, and- at that point, they're so much smaller than you. It, it's uh, like a a medium character, like a human, picking up a small or a tiny creature like a house cat. Like, I can carry a house cat and run at full speed, and I do that every night before we record. Okay, I've seen it. Is there any restriction to how large, like, if it's one size larger and you successfully grappled it, you can still move at half speed then? Correct. Okay, cool. So, bringing the thing that you're grappling, hovering them over danger, and then letting them go. So, if you're at the edge of the cliff, you're at the edge of a lava bank, uh, you somehow attach concrete feet, and you're at the edge of a a, a lake or a river. Um, I'll make the, you know, you could argue with your DM, hey, does it have a swim speed in the book? If not, sorry, bud, it's gone. there's also an interesting, like, if it is actually a river, like, if it moves downstream with the water, maybe you can just get out of there. Uh, I, I guess I'm making the argument, there's a lot of things that you can do in manipulation when you grapple, and if they're that much smaller than you, especially if you use this twin spell, uh, you can even get the, the your full movement to bring them to the danger zone. <laughs> well, one of the things that I think the reason why people hate Aarakocra so much is it's really easy to abuse this is you just specialize in the grapple. Like, maybe you're a barbarian and you're really good at grappling people. You just grapple someone, fly up real high, and drop them. <laughs> oh, what, was, what was the creature we were talking about in the Discord channel? The, the Honkules? Honkules, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, were, Go ahead. we were talking about uh, my collection of pictures of birds. I am not a huge fan of birds, but I do enjoy art of birds. Um so every every year for Christmas, my wife gets me a picture of a bird. It's nice. Um, we were talking about how awful geese are, and there was a parallel conversation about grappling and the possibility of Aarakocra grappling people up into the air came up, and everyone kind of simultaneously had the thought, that feels like something that awful geese would do. <laughs> so uh, we... Like the the group think correctively, collectively formed the idea of the Honkules, a uh, a bipedal anthropomorphized goose that haunts the sides of lakes and hunts by picking people up and flying them off into the air. <laughs> Honkules, I we'll, love. We'll it. post the stats in the show notes. It's great. It's perfect, and I love it. That's my child now. <laughs> yeah. it, it was perfect and awesome and terrifying. I've made the argument, I believe that across the U.S. we should replace the Canada goose with chickens uh, based on the experience that I had at Key West. Uh, there's an article up about that on Amateur Jack. You can go find it if you want. Um, yeah, geese are terrible. I think we can all agree. Yep. So, so there's one more thing that I want to drive at here. So we talked about how cool it is to be a player next to lava and then pick up the baddie and carry them over and drop them in. Or like if you you know if you have a fly speed like fly really high and then just drop them that's great. Let's talk about being a DM. There What's are not? A, no, it's going to be great. <laughs> uh, there are a lot of creatures that have built-in capabilities. Like if this attack hits, make one more check, and boom, they're grappled, they're restrained. Um, or I want to give three automatic examples. Uh, automatic grapple. Sometimes that just happens. Yeah, yeah, and and I I think that this is an underutilized feature of these creatures. And can add a dynamic, like if you feel like your combat's getting a little bit boring, this is a fantastic thing. It's like, okay, this just got real spicy. Because we're not worried about dying in combat, but, you know, this shambling mound just easily landed two hits on my soft witch, engulfed them, 
and is now dragging them to the edge of the water. Yeah, it's the uh, the classic crocodile thing. Like, pop out of the water, grapple it, drag it into the water where where you've got a fighting advantage. Oh, oh yeah. you mean like what you tried to do to me, buddy? <laughs> you mean yeah. like exactly what you tried to do to me? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, stay tuned, folks. It's going to be great. <laughs> But yeah, I know absolutely. Like it's 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 a wonderful thing, and it it you know okay. How many turns are they away from the water? This is a real scary condition. Um, I want to give a couple examples, and let's maybe talk about in general doing it. So, two CR five creatures, great examples: Shambling Mound, Giant Crocodile. Shambling Mound, you're blinded, restrained, unable to breathe. So I don't technically even have to bring you to the water because you're blinded. We just talked about a second ago. A lot of the the spells you would use to otherwise get out of a grapple or being restrained are uh, unavailable to you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Unable to breathe. How long can an adventurer hold their breath for? A stupidly long time. Well, so the thing about it is um, you have to be able to know that you're about to be put in the water. Like you have to know that that's going to happen in order to prepare yourself. If you don't prepare yourself, I believe the rule is like uh, your constitution modifier in rounds. Otherwise, um, if you have a chance to like, like you just need to be able to know uh, if you can like see and are able to use your reaction, you can hold your breath for a minute plus your constitution modifier in minutes, um, minimum of 30 seconds. So there's your uh, there's your tactical tip at the beginning of combat. Hold your breath. Combat will be over before it matters. That's true. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in the in the case of the mound slipping into the water, the crocodile, like if if combat turns to a chase those rounds are going to go by pretty quickly. Hmm. Um, and, and I think, hey, if you've been thinking about adding a chase dynamic, uh, because the Shambling Mound has engulfed like your favorite character and is running away with them, <laughs> a wonderful reason to chase them. You're probably not going to give that one up. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, Giant Crocodile, you're grappled and restrained with, uh, with the bite attack. Um, another fun one. So the Young Kraken is a CR 14 creature, grappled and restrained with the tentacle attack. Um, so if we look up and down the tier, we can find creatures. And I'll give a tip for it. If you go to D&D Beyond, if you're buying your source books through, through D&D Beyond, if you search for Grapple, you will get monsters, period. Some of those monsters will be hidden behind source books, but um, that's a quick way of at least finding creatures that have Grapple. Uh, and then, yeah, yeah, buy the books or you know, find those monsters, whatever. Either way, it's going to be great. Um, but now you can find monsters that can take the grappling effect or can, can put the grappling effect on your players, and you can impose great horrors. Uh, a, a giant frog is a threat to a wizard at basically any level. Yep. <laughs> uh, so let's let's hit on Pathfinder Second Edition really quick because there's a ton of similarities between PF2 and 5e, both like tactical implications and mechanics. So if you are, they don't call it grappled in PF2; they call it grabbed because uh, instead of grappling, you grab things. Uh, it's very similar to 5e. You use an athletics check, etc. So if you if you are grabbed, you're flat-footed and immobilized. Now, flat-footed is everywhere in PF2. It's just minus two penalty to your AC, and like a bunch of things like sneak attack can affect you. Um, immobilized means you can't take move actions, which is like one of the tags that they put on things. So move actions include stride, step, jump, a couple other things. So effectively, you are unable to move just as in 5e. Um, you can't do things that you couldn't do in 5e. So like you can't stand up from prone. You can't mount a horse. You can't run away, any of those things. 
So a lot of the tactical implications are very similar in PF2. Like grabbing someone gets you most of the benefits that you get from the grapple shove combo in 5e, but you can still shove them prone and it'll cost them an action both to break the grapple and then to stand back up. And like if, if you're trying to get an action economy advantage, that's pretty great. Prone is also a little bit weird. Um, I'm not 100% certain that this is how it's intended to work, but if you're prone, you can use the take cover action to get greater cover. Greater cover qualifies you to hide. So unless there's an FAQ somewhere that I don't know about, you can lay on the ground and cover your head to hide. Interesting. Uh, it sounds wrong, but I'll have to check it out. <laughs> it sure does. I, I'm... I'm really hoping I'm wrong here. I'm pretty certain that I am because that is clearly nonsensical, but raw that like rules as written, that is that appears to be how it works. Um, they do specifically also call out that you can't be prone while swimming, which is another weird thing in 5e. You can be prone while swimming, burrowing, flying. Like I, I don't exactly know how you become like, I guess if you're upside down while swimming, does that count as prone? I don't know. I don't go outside. Oh, yeah, no. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't get it. <laughs> um, I mean, I I remember reading this recently, and maybe I'm wrong, and people can yell at me on Twitter. Um, but uh, I do think that you can only take cover if you are near something that can provide you cover. Normally, yes. The prone condition specifically says that you can use the take cover action to gain greater cover against ranged attacks. Oh, okay. Yeah. Weird. It's a weird exception. Uh, yeah, that is weird. <laughs> no, I think you nailed it. The, the plan exactly was. You're just going to cover your eyes, and then you're going <laughs> to work towards the enemy. It's like, you can't see me. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> so Grappled also has one more thing I forgot to call out. Um, there's a 20% failure chance on manipulate actions. So manipulate actions are generally anything involving an item. So if you're trying to draw a weapon or use a magic wand or something like that, there's a 20% chance that those will fail. Um, I'm forgetting off the top of my head, but that might also apply to casting spells. So it does give you some chance to, you know, hinder spell casters that are giving you trouble. Um, more likely you want to try to restrain them in some way because that gives you like that severely limits the actions you're allowed to take you're basically only allowed to uh, use mental actions and escape and uh, mental actions are things like uh, recall knowledge and regret i'm so glad that they choose to call that out <laughs> yeah <laughs> So the, the next group we want to at least mention, just to identify them as we talk about status conditions, are the idea of being surprised flat-footed. Um, I'll say we did an entire episode on surprised. We'll have a link in the show notes if you want to go back and listen to it. Uh, but at a high level, you know, Tyler, do you, do you want to kind of run through just to remind folks what these things do? Yeah. So in 3X, there wasn't a surprise condition. There was a surprise round, quote-unquote. If you're playing 5E or PF2, stop using the phrase surprise round. It doesn't exist. Um, you could also be flat footed if you were surprised or if you had certain other conditions and that took away your dexterity bonus and dodge bonuses to AC. So it was easier to hit you with things. So being surprised, being flat footed, not fun, but you want to do it to other people because it makes it easier to hurt them. So, you know, surprise is always very good. Uh, in 5e, there's the surprise condition, which is, uh, I, I think we got this a little bit wrong in the surprise episode, but basically, uh, if you go into combat and an enemy is completely unaware of any threat whatsoever, 
they are surprised and they basically spend their entire first turn looking shocked and amazed. <laughs> um, <gasps> yeah, just like that. <laughs> For six seconds straight. It's amazing. Wow, um, stabbed them in the gut. Yeah, so somehow <laughs> they knew to take their breath. Yeah. Before well, the six yeah, like like I said, tac- your uh, tactical advice for tonight. Take a deep breath at the beginning of combat. Combat will be over before it matters. <laughs> Perfect. Um, PF2, there's, there's no, there are no surprise mechanics. It's literally just not a thing. The only appearance of surprise that I could find in the rules text is the section in the Game Mastery Guide about surprising players while they're resting. And the advice is just, don't do this too often. It's kind of a dick move. Um, the, the flat footed condition, uh, like three X, you could, you primarily got it by being surprised in PF2, you get flat footed from everything. And it's, it's a very important condition. Like you can impose it by flanking enemies, by pushing them prone, by grabbing them, by paralyzing them, by putting like half the conditions in the book just say the creature is flat footed. And also, yeah, I I think if you attack someone and they don't know you're there, they're flat footed, right? Correct. Right? Yeah. 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 Call back to our stealth episode. It's just, a, it's, I mean, it is an elegant way to approach uh, things. It's just like just one system for a variety of situations, which I, I can appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let's talk about something that uh, we haven't talked about on the podcast before being blind and deaf. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been blind and deaf at the same time before. Nope. Not a lot of fun. Yeah. My, my, my hearing is getting worse, I think, from wearing headphones all day, every day for everything. Mm. Uh, and uh, so for folks at home, I don't know if you know this about me. I am absolutely blind. I can, you know, without anything corrective, I can see like three inches in front of my face in large font. And that's basically the only hope I have. Do you wear contacts? I do. Um, they're less contacts and more like, do you know the film that you pull out of the top of a bottle cap? Like that nice <laughs> like that's, that's what I'm working with. I, I, I relate, buddy. I do. <laughs> My eyes are terrible, too. So <laughs> so I know something about blind. Continue, yeah. sir. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go back to uh, 3X because uh, 5E and Pathfinder kind of deviated from each other here. Like in... For some of the status conditions, they stayed kind of in lockstep, like the uh, prone, grappled, all those stayed kind of similar, but they moved in different directions for blind and deafened. So in 3X, uh, you had this condition called Dazzled, which was just minus one to attacks and basically anything visual. I don't know why they bothered writing it down. It is so pointless and like two things (laughs) in the game caused it. Don't understand. Um the blinded condition is obviously more important. You take a penalty to AC and you're flat footed, which further penalizes your AC and you move at half speed and you take penalties to a whole bunch of skills and you have a 50% mischance on all of your attacks because you're, you're effectively guessing where someone is in their square. That's Um, brutal. (laughs) Super brutal. Yeah. uh, (laughs) Blindness deafness was a uh, very powerful saver suck spell in three X. If I remember right, it also targeted uh, will saves instead of fortitude saves. So like way better in 3X than it is in 5E. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, being being deafened, uh, you you took penalty to initiative for some reason. Like, you couldn't I do the announcement that to roll initiative. <laughs> there you go. Yep. It's ready to roll initiative. <laughs> what? What'd you say? I couldn't quite hear you. <laughs> Um, there's also a chance you'd uh, fail to cast any spells with a verbal component um, 
Randall, you're a musician. I feel like you've talked about this with me before, but like the ability to hear as you're making sounds super important for musicians. Oh yeah. Like having, having feedback, um, having some kind of monitoring, especially if you're trying to sing is like super, super awesome. Um, I'll be blunt. Like I don't understand how folks do these kinds of things without monitors. Yeah. So, so they kind of implemented that. So there's like a 20% chance of failure. It's annoying. It's not good. So 5e is a little less brutal and there's like less things you have to keep track of. If you're blind, you can't see, obviously, so you just fail anything involving sight. Uh, you can't target with spells, most spells. It's huge pain. Uh, disadvantage on all of your attacks and advantage on all attacks against you. And honestly, that is enough for this to be a huge problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although you can cast your saving throw spells. If you can target. Ah, oh, that's okay. Uh-huh. That's fair. Uh, now some spells you can fire blind like i believe fireball is a good example so yeah that's exactly what you want is your uh your wizard firing blind into combat i mean yeah the wizard yeah. doesn't want to die so or, <laughs> at least you're going with them that's all i'm saying uh i will say that like blinded doesn't specifically uh, i'd have to read the verbiage on it but it doesn't specifically say that you don't know where enemies are um so all it says is you just have disadvantage, um, which I guess they wanted to simplify it, but it does feel like not enough to me. <laughs> like being blind in combat is really bad. Um, but I, for the sake of simplicity, I think it makes sense. Yeah. Uh... I guess it, it depends on if the spell says like a creature you can see, a target you can see, a point you can see. Exactly. And, and so many spells say exactly that. And that so is blinded true. is that gonna is... mean you can't see. But yeah, that like is... to take fireball, for instance, the language of fireball is uh a point you choose. Yep. And so if you can presumably identify the point that you choose, luckily you're looking at a map and you're like, Yeah, no, that's the point. I see it. <laughs> or you know, yeah. whatever, right there. Uh, Fifty feet due north, fire. Yeah. And then deafened is just so lame in five E. <laughs> it's so lame. <laughs> y- you can't hear. Great. Cool. Thanks, Fivey. <laughs> uh, yeah, there, there's no penalties to uh, anything verbal. You can still speak perfectly fine. You can still play musical instruments. Like, uh, yeah, it, it's literally just you fail to do anything but that if, requires if, hearing. But if creatures would have been running towards you in the water, you're not going to know they're coming. And that, I think, is very important. It's the main reason that I think everybody should carry a spell that you know allows you to cast death absolutely i think i think it's useful for stealth so like this would be can't i don't know can uh arcane tricksters take blind blindness deafness or can they i not? don't think so but don't quote me on That's, that that seems like an oversight i feel like that's something they should have um because it seems really useful for stealth no yeah, that's what invisibility is for true <laughs> but if you can be invisible and also deafen someone, you take out the disadvantages of invisibility. <laughs> that was a that was a classic thing in three uh, X caster supremacy. So concentration worked very very differently in three X. Uh, instead of like I can concentrate on one thing, there were a very small handful of spells. We had to spend your standard action every turn to concentrate and maintain the spell, but everything else just ran for the duration so a wizard could cast invisibility to make them impossible to see and silence to make them impossible to hear and congratulations you've now out rogued every rogue (laughs) you could cast knock and 
pick every lock without any issues. <laughs> like I one do... spell you can out damage a fighter, like casters, man. Yeah, I do think this is a whole other topic, but I do think that I think 5e was a little overzealous with the concentration stuff. Just let us do multiple things because there's some spells there you would never cast because they require concentration. Yeah. And there's just better spells like blindness and deafness. No one ever uses that spell because it requires concentration and they're just better spells that do kind of the same thing. Yeah, concentration and it's a con save. Like, why? Why bother? Yeah, no, it's a useless spell. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I was going to cast this, but actually just, just skip my turn. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so pf2 like i said we uh deviated a little bit um when you know 3x pathfinder one and then uh pf2 went one direction 5e went another uh pf2 kept that dazzled condition from 3x which like when i was first reading the core rule book i'm like paizo why why have you done this? Um, but they actually made it really meaningful. Like Dazzled yeah. gives creatures a 20% mischance. Um, uh, let's see. So it makes all creatures concealed to you, which imposes a 20% mischance on attacks and targeting and stuff. Uh, so like if I if I go to cast a cantrip at somebody, even if it requires a saving throw, like there's a 20% mischance, which is like pretty significant. significant. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so like there's a there's a handful of things that can cause dazzle like they're not as good as things that outright blind you but there's enough of them that it's like it is a meaningful thing and you can get it from a lot of places. Um, I'm working on uh, the Megas class handbook for PF2 right now. Uh, spoilers should be out very soon. Uh, and like there's a there's a shield option you can get where somebody hits you with an attack and as a reaction you emit a blinding flash of light in a cone from your shield and everything in the cone is dazzled for a round so like everything has a 20 percent mischance for a round like that that's really good for a martial character it's yeah. also helpful for rogues because you don't need cover to hide from that person you exactly yes yeah you just scrooch down it's like ah they've got spots in their eyes i'll hide in one of those spots yeah <laughs> it's cool i like it yeah <laughs> um so blinded feels very very similar to 3x but there's less math um obviously you can't see all terrain is difficult terrain which means you move at half speed and you can't uh importantly you can't step uh, which means you have to stride so like you can't step out of reach to avoid opportunity attacks and stuff uh, so all terrain is difficult um, there's probably going to be a penalty on your perception checks it's kind of conditional so check the wording there and uh, <laughs> this isn't called out in 3x or 5e you're immune to visual effects so in 5e things that affect you based on vision rules as written um frequently being blinded doesn't protect you from them so like if if someone casts hypnotic pattern on you and you're blinded i'm pretty sure you can still be affected in 5e um double check the wording on the specific spells because it may say like creatures that can see but it's just weird that they didn't just put that right in the condition yeah uh oh you're actually so hypnotic pattern each creature in the area who sees the pattern must make a wisdom saving throw yeah so the way 5e did it is that it calls it out in the specific spell effects rather than the condition which seems like more work Mm. (laughs) but (laughs) what and then like they forget it the one time and you're staring at it like wait was this intentional did they is this what they meant all right the last group that we want to talk about today uh fatigue and exhaustion i'm tired already 
Yeah. That's going to be great. Let's do this. I'm actually, okay. I, yeah, I'm going to jump ahead to 5e and then let's come back. Let's talk 3x a little bit. Like, okay. I really love the 5e exhaustion ladder. Me too. I think it's really cool. I think it makes a lot of sense. As a DM, imparting this onto your victims, your, I'm sorry, your players, makes a lot of sense. As a player, if you can find a way to put this on creatures, I think it's a fun gimmick from time to time. I think it'd get old if like that was your entire shtick. Uh, and yeah, I think, you know, we'll hop into this in a second, but I, I think these are really cool. I guess that's what I wanted to lead off with. I agree. The The exhaustion mechanic in 5e is really neat. Um, it, it's what's occasionally referred to as a death spiral. Uh, basically, once you start down the spiral, it's really hard to get off. Um, I would like to get off of Mr. Bones' wild ride now, please. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like you, Once you hit three levels of exhaustion, you have disadvantage on saving throws, which makes it really hard to stop getting more levels of exhaustion. Yep. Uh, yeah, things go from bad to worse, like in a linear, progressively more terrible fashion. So let's take, let, take a step back. Let's talk about 3X. Um, so you had the idea of being fatigued and then being exhausted? Yeah, so it was essentially a two-step thing. Like, there wasn't stage six where you die. You stopped at exhausted. Um, fatigued was a very mild inconvenience. You took a minus two penalty to strength and dexterity. Not to checks, like to the ability scores. You had to go recalculate your character sheet. So that was the most annoying part. You could. You also couldn't run or charge, which, boy, if you are a martial character, sucks to be you. If you're a wizard, you're like, I literally have never done either of those things. I don't even know what I've lost. <laughs> yes, exactly. And then if you, if you were hit with another effect that would make you fatigued, you would become exhausted. Exhausted, halved your speed, and you took a minus six penalty to strength and dexterity. So again, go recalculate your character sheet. Way to go, 3x. <laughs> and yeah it slowed you down a little bit but again casters are like i mean i'm on this i'm on this magic broom that has its own fly speed and uh i mean sure okay my strength is now two and that's mildly inconvenient don't really care if we were counting on my strength for anything we were already doomed yes oh no i can't carry my uh i can't carry my bag of holding i'll have to sit down for a minute yeah. <laughs> just now drop it i'll pick it up at the end of combat there you go okay for for 5e what i'd like to do real quick i'm gonna run through and just say these six levels of exhaustion um and then we'll pick our heads up and we'll talk about it sounds good sounds good awesome okay uh first level of exhaustion disadvantage on ability checks second speed halved third disadvantage on attack rolls and saving throws and i feel like this is the first real spicy one we're like haha i've got you Four, hit point max halved. Five, speed reduced to zero. Six, death. Yeah. So uh, getting exhausted. It sucks. Yeah. Especially if you have monsters that impose the unexhausted status effect on you. <laughs> yeah. That can spiral really quickly. <laughs> so I think this is another one that's actually fun to talk about. So as a player, how can you put exhaustion on a creature? And is it worth it? Um, I'll call out the only way that I'm familiar with, which I have used. So Tyler brought this up at one point. I'm like, I want to do this very badly. So I did. Sickening Radiance. All right. A, a shimmering shine of suck cast over the area. Uh, all creatures who start their turn in it uh, 
make a constitution saving throw or suffer a level of exhaustion. Imagine going into an enclosed space, casting it into a room full of enemies, and then shutting the door. Or what we did recently, like we entered a room and the DM described it as having like a a 10-foot hallway where we just said, cool, two martial characters, please stand up front and don't let anybody leave. I've got a spell to cast. (laughs) It works so well. And so it's, it's super situational when you can actually get away with it, because let's face it, like if you're in a big open space, you cast it, you get one level of exhaustion, disadvantage on ability checks. Who cares? Right? It doesn't matter. If you have something where like you can stun them, you can get them to, to skip a turn and have to spend two turns in the effect. Speed halved, I would still argue, really, who cares? But if you can get them to three disadvantage on attack rolls and saving throws, I think it can be really powerful. Yeah, I think... I really, really, really like the exhaustion mechanics of 5e. I think it's one of the conditions that they absolutely nailed. Um, because, like, it not only is just, uh, has, it's like a death spiral sort of thing, but it also allows certain things that were hard to get across in other conditions, like environmental effects, like, you know, traveling for a long time in the desert or pushing yourself past your limits or particularly brutal monsters like trying like there are several sessions that i've run where players had to choose between getting to a place on time uh and being exhausted or resting and possibly missing their chance and that is a super fun choice and it's really dramatic and i like that where if it was just like a minus two penalty or whatever people would be like yeah we're just gonna go um (laughs) but uh i will say that uh so the monsters that impose exhaustion, con- exhausted conditions in 5e are kind of rare, but one group that does like to use this a lot is Cobalt Press. Uh, Tome of Beasts has a lot of monsters that impose the exhausted condition, uh, which is cool. I like that. Like, There's a one creature that basically drains moisture from you instead of just doing like necrotic damage which is kind of boring it's like no you're getting exhausted from this (laughs) which i think makes sense it's like you're being put through a harsh desert conditions in an instant yeah the the scariest thing about exhaustion for players is you remove one level of exhaustion per long rest yeah so like uh one of the Player's Handbook subclasses for the Barbarian is the Berserker. Uh, You can Berserk in addition to Raging, which gets you an extra attack as a bonus action. But when you're done Raging, you take a level of Exhaustion. So immediately upon publication, that subclass was basically unplayable, and it's pretty much there to trap uninformed players. Because you're going to go in, you're going to Rage, you're going to Berserk, you're going to have a lot of fun for like two rounds. Combat's going to end, and then you're going to be tired. And they're going to be like, oh, I can only feasibly do this once per day or I'm going to die. I can literally rage myself to death. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's uh, (laughs) it's great. What an ending that would be. (laughs) You've been standing in the same place for a day trying to rest and then creatures keep approaching because you can't move because you got five (laughs) levels of exhaustion. And then the last enemy finally approaches and you're like, you know what? It's time. You berserk knowing that as soon as it's done, you're going to die. 
what that is a really cool way to go like a final stand where you're just <laughs> killing a bunch of people and finally you've given your friends enough chance to run away and you embrace death <laughs> i'm gonna hold this five foot hallway because i don't need to move move anyway i'm just i am the choke point as you say you're literally like choking a creature to death. like hey. you go home to report to the bbg it's like what was he saying as he died i'm a choke point <laughs> you'll he died as he lived furious <laughs> so super super fast touch on pf2 uh exhausted has gone away there is now fatigued pf2 fatigued it's a boolean um you take a minus one penalty to your defenses so it's your ac your saving throws and then uh, you can't use exploration activities while traveling. So, like, if you're if you're riding a horse from town to town, you can't, like, I take the scout action or activity to, you know, help my party watch for danger. You can't do those things. Um, it has absolutely no impact on your ability to attack things. There's nothing stopping you from, like, oh, yes, I can. I'm fatigued, but I'm still going to lift this boulder. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, it's a very strange condition. Doesn't do a whole lot. It's mostly a mild inconvenience. Yeah. All right. Well, we have a question of the week this week. Uh, question of the week this week comes to us from at Dizzy Nuts from Twitter. <laughs> Great name. <laughs> <laughs> Why is lesser restoration written as conditions can be instead of conditions are? And for folks at home, I'm going to read the spell just so all right, there's some context to this. You touch a creature and can end either one disease or one condition afflicting it. The condition can be blinded, deafened, paralyzed, or poisoned. Uh, I, I think it's purely grammatical choice here because it, you're only ending one condition. It's the condition can be, and you can pick one of those conditions to end, um, but you couldn't say like, I'm going to end conditions on it. And the conditions that are ended are X, Y, and Z. I think the implication that Dizzy Nuts is going for, and they can correct me if I'm wrong, is that if they're saying it can be these, but it could also be something else that's not listed here. I don't think that was what they were going for. I I, I appreciate you reading through the lines on that. I think as, um, as they would say, uh, Jeremy Crawford would say, it's not in the spirit of the rule, but technically it is correct. Um, so I think what they were trying to say, I think Tyler's right. It's a grammatical choice that you can choose one of these, not necessarily that these are just some of the conditions you can remove, but you can also remove others. Uh, there, there are also some specific effects outside of the spell that can be removed by lesser restoration or restoration. Um, I'm struggling to think of examples, but they'll appear sometimes in monster stats. All right. Nailed it. All hail the Leisure Illuminati. I'm Randall James. You'll find me at AmateurJack.com and on Twitter and Instagram at JackAmateur. I'm Tyler Campster. You'll find me at RPGBot.net, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at RPGBOTDOTNET, and Patreon and Reddit, uh, RPGBot. I'm Ash Eli. You can follow me on Twitter at GravenAshes. If you've enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and rate us on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. It's a quick, free way to support the podcast and helps us to reach new listeners. You can find links in the show notes. You'll find affiliate links for sourcebooks and other materials linked in the show notes, as well as on RPGBot.net. Following these links helps us to make this show happen every week. 
If your question should be the question of the week next week, please email podcast at rpgbot.net or message us on Twitter at rpgbotdotnet. Please also consider supporting us on Patreon, where you'll find early access to rpgbot.content, polls for future content, and access to the rpgbot.discord. You can find us at patreon.com slash rpgbot. I think we uh, forgot to do the welcome to the rpgbot.podcast. I'm Randall James, you're uh, something something. Uh, wool socks. There you go. Wool socks with the shorts and flip-flops. <laughs>